Hey friends and welcome to another episode of Fresh Aesthetic, the show where we embark on the search for truth and meaning through creativity, art and pop culture. I'm your host Stephen Garton and today's episode is an interview I did with one of my longtime friends, Tim Buchanan. Tim has a wealth of wisdom and life experience and it was so fun to be able to sit down with him in a non-professional context. It was so encouraging hearing his thoughts on stuff like creativity and mental health and the latest scandals with churches in New Zealand as well. Last week's episode, Attention to Detail, was part of the series Matt and I are diving into where we share our own creative processes with you in keeping with the theme of the season. Make sure to go back and check it out if you missed it. If you enjoy this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend and leaving a rating on Spotify or a view on Apple Podcasts. But enough of me talking, and on to the interview. Let's hit it. Tim Buchanan, this is crazy. This is, we're off the work clock. We're sitting here recording a podcast. Like, how cool is that? Um, I just, I mean, like, as some people say you're not, you shouldn't like breach that boundary with work colleagues and and like merge it with being in a friendship kind of thing because it can get into murky waters but here we are and I love it and this is great I'm so excited to have you here that's great Stephen thanks for having me and uh yeah uh here we are um we are breaching those waters so let's go for it yeah I, I don't know where it's gonna go but let's just go for it um so for for anybody who doesn't know you like how would you kind of introduce yourself to someone who hasn't met you before or like what the kind of little bits and pieces of your story leading up to where you are today? I guess my journey in regards to uh, creating, being creative, um, actually I'll start here first. Um, my general role is that I um, oversee arts education um, at, at the school that I work at um, and I absolutely love it. I do lots of other roles as well, but that is definitely an area that's got my interest and um, I, I love seeing kids being able to do stuff and create and uh, come alive um, with with uh, projects and music and drama and visual art and doing all that sort of stuff. So I absolutely love it. Um, so that's that's who I am. But um, yeah, so my story kind of begins. Um, as a 10 year old boy who uh, wanted to try out for a kids music group um, by playing the recorder. Now I auditioned for this and the, <laughs> the auditioner said what we all want to hear, can you do something else? So I went ahead and said, oh, well, um, maybe I could try singing. And so I, I, she said, have a go at that. So I sat in the corner and went ahead and did that. And I auditioned for her. And then the next thing she said was, have you considered having lessons? Um, in other words, work on it. Um, but I went ahead and did that. And uh, that started me on my journey of being creative. That started me on my journey of exploring art and a side of myself that I didn't know. We, we, we share a similar sort of a background in a way um, growing up and whatnot, but you kind of growing up in a church context, um, I know you went to Hillsong for a while, um, kind of how has that sort of shaped your journey as well with um, kind of what led you into wanting to do that and then 
where it took you, how has that kind of affected you? I started off with with training um, under classical music and musical theatre. So I was doing that, but then I would also be a little bit schizophrenic and go to church and would be doing gospel music. And I felt like they were two different worlds, to be honest. Growing up, I felt like they were very two different worlds and I would just kind of fit in between the two different worlds and slide from one to the other um, as it happened. And uh, I, guess, I guess I loved both worlds. I loved um, being on a stage and performing for performance sake. I loved the precision of it all. I loved um, the storytelling, but I also loved, I guess, having a bit of purpose with it as well, particularly um, in church. And that's what I felt. I was starting to gather a lot of purpose in what I was doing. It was beyond just me enjoying myself, having a good time and connecting with an audience. It was just something a little bit more. So for that, and that's really what led me into going to do some further training um, overseas and coming back again and just continuing to be involved in my church community Um with with the creative arts it does take us on a journey doesn't it and like i know there'll be some good things and uh some challenging things that have happened along the way i'm just curious like from your time at hillsong because i guess that was when it got serious for you yeah like really, yeah really serious yeah yeah that's when the purpose really came okay, to, yeah, to the sure. forefront of what i was thinking and doing and uh and also learning um, to really invest into it for that purpose as well. Right. And so reflecting on that, like where you are now and you're looking back at that, what what do you sort of see as like the gold part of that journey? And then what do you might see as the, I don't know, the, the baggage or maybe it was all perfect. Maybe you yeah. loved every single minute. Yeah, no, I wouldn't say um, it was it was perfect. Um, there were definitely some gold, though. Um, definitely, uh, it was um, seeing um, what could happen. You know, there was definitely a lot of vision enlarging that um, I got to see um, up close and personal, which was really great. Um, and it, it helped me to dream a little bit into what was possible, um, which I think for creative types dreaming is absolutely essential and it's it's core to who we are but it's not just dreaming about what I'm doing right now it's dreaming about where this could go and what it could become and uh and getting that form of inspiration so it was definitely great for that um the there were definitely challenges though in discovering myself and realizing what those kind of purposes require from you, what kind of disciplines require, what kind of cost it, it, it takes um, to you as a person, and um, also learning to step beyond um, my smaller community that I grew up in into being in a much larger context. Um, that was a huge challenge. It was to go from being what could have been a big fish in a small pond to being a bit more of a smaller fish. And then the challenge is to rise to that, you know, rise to, to what you're being asked to do. Was it after that that you kind of went into teaching and like started that journey and all of that sort of thing? And then how did that kind of previous experience carry over into your profession today. Yeah, well funny because I didn't actually see it connecting very well. 
um, because I kind of, as I said, I, I, I would live in this world of this creative space and um, part of the journey um, of our training was to do community service. And so I would get involved in schools and, but it wasn't for arts education. It was um, in other areas. So I kind of felt like they were two separate worlds. Um, so trained to become a teacher and then got my first job and straight away, uh, I guess with my background and context of um, performance and creativity, um, it was a natural fit for me to start being involved in arts education. I got to kind of marry the two together and it was like great synchronization. You know, it was suddenly um, this thing that I was so passionate about within myself, I was now able to share that and teach that and and put that into others and uh, and that's that kind of took over um, my inspiration and uh, took over um, a lot of my um, purpose you know suddenly it wasn't just about me having fun it was about others yeah that's great and I, I relate to that as well obviously being a teacher too and yeah it's just I, I'm curious because I I ponder this for myself as well is is does it like scratch the creative itch that like as a creative um does it fill that gap in a way because because like for me it does in some areas like you can you can find creative creative ways to like deliver a lesson that's like not just uh bland um, I don't know, going through a textbook or something. And I mean, sometimes you do have <laughs> more boring lessons than others and, oh man, you can't make everything great. But does it, I'm, I'm curious for you, what your experience has been coming from that background of performing arts and loving it, loving the performance side of it, and then going into teaching. What is your, do you find space to create um, does it kind of make you come alive in a similar way or what's kind of your experience in that? Yeah, great, great question. Um, because I would say at the start, I, I didn't find it. I really went, I really approached teaching from, I'm here to help these kids unlock their creativity. Um, but what I've learned, I guess, in a few years into it was one of the best ways to teach students is to share the creative process with them by contributing your own. So what does that look like? That means when we're um, working on drama performances, that means I also get myself into the creative space and I write alongside them. And I contribute my ideas to it as well. And I found little ways to go ahead and do that. And it's been really, really good. So looking for those opportunities, of course, where kids can create as much as possible, but also looking for opportunities where I can create alongside of them. And that's been really, really, really fun. And uh, a big shout out to all my own students. Uh, Thank you for letting me join you in that process for putting up with some of Mr. B's ideas and just jumping in with it. So it's been really good. Uh, One practical area that we've been doing that is we run some school productions. And as we say, we've read the Part of it is to get our students writing their own productions, but I get to write a little bit of it as well. They get to write a little bit of it, and then we learn to collaborate together, which has been really good. So in those incidents, my my creative itch has been kind of scratched, but I definitely had seasons where I felt like it wasn't, and I I thought, man, I'm pouring into these kids. We're doing stuff together. 
but something I, I'm, I'm, I'm just feeling like I'm not getting my own creativity out there. You know, I just, I just find it, found it in those seasons really difficult to inspire creativity when I wasn't disciplining myself to find that space to be creative myself. So yeah, yeah. I, I fully relate. Like yeah. um, sometimes it's like you feel on top of the world with how it's going. Um, maybe you do like a really awesome unit and everyone's just like buying into it. And it's, it's like all the cylinders are firing and it's great, but sometimes it can feel like months and months of just, it's like barren wasteland. Like nobody seems to care. Right. Right. And, and I guess that could lead into the question of what, what do you find is like the best and worst parts of the job? Like what do you enjoy and what yeah. kind of like is just, Oh, I need to just get through this. Yeah. Great question again. Um, yeah. Best parts of the job is definitely seeing students create something and complete that creativity. Uh, I love it seeing kids on the stage doing their, doing their art, um, sharing it with others. Um, I love seeing, uh, the response that they get and I love them seeing the responses that they get and that kind of lift that it gives them. Uh, I do also love walking through some of the tough bits as well, because let's face it, when whenever you're creating, there's, there's successes and there's big fails. And part of the learning experience is to learn how to walk through all of those aspects. And sometimes students need to have us to walk through that with them. So it's, you know, it's, it's after um, something has happened, we sit back and we can say, well, so, you know, what, what went well and what do we have to do differently next time? You know, try to keep away from the, what went bad, but sometimes, you know, we need to, we need to unpack that question first and we need to be that brutally honest first before we can get into, well, what can we do differently next time? So giving ourselves space to go ahead and do that is, is really awesome, particularly if there is good outcomes of that. If you can see um, the next time they do it, they've grown and they've changed or they've even discovered a different part of themselves as well. I love seeing kids being brave like and growing in and being brave. That's, that's also a huge win of the job as well. Lots of challenges in the job. Um, never enough money to do whatever we want to do. I don't know what you're talking yeah. about. Like, <laughs> never I, enough I money. get paid millions. Yeah. And I, I don't know, like it seems like in our, um, in our schools and in our education communities, everybody loves a good piece of art, whether it's a show or whether it's an exhibition or something. But sometimes, you know, once the show's finished or, you know, it's been a few months, sometimes it takes a little bit of convincing everybody again that this is still valuable and it's worth paying the price for so it's having those battles with with all the different stakeholders in schools whether you know whether it's parents or school leaders and stuff like that you know just really trying to promote that this is valuable learning for our kids this is valuable um, learning for our school community it's a valuable part of our school community so it's having those battles um, and not giving up on them yeah, and it's um, with the arts I've found in particular, like it's just that that classic mindset that it's not going to get me a job, so why would I bother? And helping people to see beyond that is can be quite 
frustrating or feel like you're banging your head against a brick wall to make them understand that, you know what, for some people, this is the only thing that keeps them holding on in the darkest times. Yeah, you're right. And I think we've had these discussions before about not looking at just arts as being a product, but also looking at it as being a part of our own well-being. And that's that's a gift for everybody in whatever capability or context that they have, you know, to be able to explore and um, enjoy arts just for their own personal well-being as well. Um, as well as, you know, producing something that will benefit other people, but particularly for themselves and realizing then therefore that there's some learning that needs to happen in that, you know, to be able to enjoy art sometimes means you've got to learn some skills um, for yourself as well. So it's, it's trying to get, get beyond that industrialized, you know, education model of where we're producing a product here or we're learning in order to be able to produce a product. We want to go beyond that and, and go, well, listen, we want to learn to become amazing people. We want to learn to become well and healthy people. And arts definitely has a place for that. Therefore, arts education does as well. Yeah. And I know that you've been on a huge journey um, over the years with uh, well-being and health and um, making boundaries in your life that keep you healthy and keep you just functioning properly in the world like um and I'm just I'm really curious because I know as a teacher like you can really get when the weather just all piles in on you and and by that I mean just metaphorically for work it just snows in and it feels like it's never going to end there's just thing after thing after thing and then something trivial could happen and it just feels like the end of the world because you're so just it almost feels like you're close to burning out or you're just, um, I don't know. Uh, and I'm, I'm really, I know you'll have a lot of wisdom in this, in this area. And I'm really keen to hear you speak into that. It's definitely been, um, learning for myself. Um, and, uh, it's definitely taken time and it's definitely been by trial and error, you know? So, I mean, one of the key things that I have learned, over um, my years in teaching has been to be aware of myself and how I'm thinking and how I'm feeling. Um, I haven't always been too good at that. Um, Sometimes I've just caught myself being triggered and uh, I've had to step back and go, man, why did I respond that way? Why Why am I feeling like this? Or why am I even behaving like this? And when I've given myself that time to kind of unpack it, I've been able to kind of step back and go, well, hang on. Um, I know that uh, my mental well-being needs a bit of work. Um, I know that the way that I'm thinking um, needs a bit of um, TLC and a bit of crafting. And that looks different for every every person. There's certainly no formula around that. But I think what is pretty similar for everybody is just being aware of where you're at and what you might need to do to just refresh yourself or get yourself into the right mindset and stuff. Because, you know, Stephen, you're right. You know, the 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 culture around education um, can be hugely horrendous. It can be overwhelming. Um, even when things are going well, there can just be a lot to do 
and very limited resources to get it done. I think teachers all over New Zealand would, would agree to that and be able to testify to that very, very easily. And so to be able to learn how to manage yourself in the midst of all of that is just so important. And so, like I said, I've learned through trial and error. I've learned through making mistakes. I've learned through getting triggered. I've learned through get seeking help when um, I've needed to. And uh, um, hopefully, as the years are progressing, I'm I'm taking care of myself a lot better. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's great. And I just, I, 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 I guess I'm, I'm curious how you found this. But for me, I found that I was just never taught how to look after yourself, how to look out for yourself. Um, and I mean, as sure. uh, as a my particular number on the Enneagram, like I find it hard to even speak my needs, let alone like make a song and dance about them. And I don't think I was ever given the tools to just be mindful of my inner state and, yeah. and be looking for those signs of, uh, of, just disaster or um, something's wrong or things like that. Like I just wasn't given those tools and I had to do so much hunting on my own to find how to help myself. And I don't know what is, is how have you found that? Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree with that. Totally agree with that. And uh, uh, cause I'm, I'm a two on the Enneagram. So I'm always wanting to help others, you know, and, uh, and <laughs> let's face it. We, you know, sometimes we grow up in the church and our mentality is always, we need to be focused on other people, but you know, um, if we're not able to, you know, lead ourselves correctly, we're going to struggle to um, lead and support others. Really, you know, we'll only get so far before it'll kind of all fall apart, or we'll just come up with a lot of, you know, we'll get tripped over quite a bit. So, yeah, I've I've done um, a little bit of searching um, and trying to find other sources to help me, but no matter how great the sources have been or even how weak some of the sources have been, um, developing that kind of sense of self-reflection is just really important. You know, I remember learning this and, you know, at university about the importance of self-reflection as a teacher. And I never really got it too much until I've had to walk it out. And also particularly in the way that I'm managing myself and coping with myself, coping with myself as a professional, um, relating to others, just being able to step back and go, well, hang on, what's actually going on here? Um, is just hugely important to be able to do. And then when I'm reflecting and I'm going, I'm not finding any answers. I'm not finding how, like, I, I know this is where I'm at, um, but I don't know what to do from here. Going and seeking help and support is just really important. Yeah. And the other thing was like um, just this huge stigma around therapy and counseling was like, it was unreal. It was like, it was almost a bad word of like, or, or why would you need that? Like what you, you don't need that. Like you're okay. Just, yeah. you grew up in a, in a stable environment. Like what's wrong? Yeah. Why would you need to, to go and do that? Like I, I found that I just love normalizing it. Yeah. I love just, just being real about it and going, you know what? We all need help. Yeah. And I, I love that. 
Yeah, and and we do all need help. Like to think we've all got it made um, is certainly the opposite of effective self reflection. Um, and and I certainly think that a a good character trait is to be able to be humble enough to accept that. And I I think that's a given. Um, I totally hear you though on the stigma of of going out and getting help, particularly around therapy. But you know, we would very easily. Um, go and ask somebody for a tool that we didn't have, you know. Um, I mean, think like cooking, you know. It would very if we don't have the 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 cooking um, tools that we need, we would go out and ask for it. We'd go and get it. We'd go and buy it. And it's it's kind of the same thing, you know. Um, in my experience, just going to um, therapy or counselling is you're really seeking um, tools. You know, you're not going there for judgment or an evaluation of how good or how bad you are, you're, you're going there to get tools. And and hopefully you get a, a whole group of them, a whole selection of them that you are able to try and trial and see if and see if it works for you. Um, or at least that's been my experience for it. And uh, I've, you know, I've, I've only ever come out um, in a good way <laughs> with, with being able to experience that. How do you find when you are feeling overwhelmed or just like life's just a lot. Um, do you, does, do you stay creative or, or cause for me, sometimes it can be the first thing to disappear while I try and like get on top of work and, um, and the thought of like sitting down, it almost feels like a waste of time because you're sitting there spending so much time on admin and just like daily uptick of life that the thought of making something, or I even find this with looking after myself. I mean, we're talking about therapy and well-being and that sort of thing. Like even just the thought of going out for an hour cycling or going for a walk or um, something that I really enjoy doing, investing time into that. I It almost feels like I'm wasting my time. Like, I don't know. What do you do when you're... <laughs> When you're, when you're swamped under a lot of work um, or you're struggling with something, what do you do to stay sane? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I, I'll start off by saying I, one of the things I did get from my lectures at Hillsong, I remember one of them saying that in order to be creative, we kind of need to be at peace or at rest. And so I do know that when you're kind of feeling overwhelmed and you want to get back into that creative space again, but there's stress or tension involved, getting back to that place of peace and rest is just quite vital or at least it's effective if it's not vital it's it's effective so what do I do um I I think I've found what works for me is just going simply going for a walk um going for a place where I don't have to do any purposeful thinking that I'm allowed to just be a bit lazy with my thinking and I'm allowed to just think what I want um, I find that really helpful and my body kind of needs to do something while I'm thinking as well. Otherwise it kind of doesn't really work. Uh, but I do like that. Um, I also have no problems with giving myself a little treat here and there and just to kind of, you know, get yourself smiling again and just kind of enjoying it. So whatever that is, whatever that is for you, I mean, I, I, that's great. But, um, I know these sorts of things for me just kind of get me refreshed and in the zone. Um, I, I am more introverted 
than extroverted. So I know that my refreshment needs to be away from others um, because otherwise I'll, I'll give them all my energy and I won't give any to myself. So I need to find that place where I'm able to do that um, and just, just think and just get calm. Uh, it's been interesting how often when I'm doing this purposeless thinking that suddenly some really good solutions to problems will pop into my head. And uh, I don't know, maybe I've just given myself the space for it to allow it to breathe and happen. That's funny that you say you're introverted. And I don't know. I don't even know why that's shocking me right now, because I know that about you, but at the same time, I'm like, you're so extroverted every time I see you that that's like, really? I know. And, and that's... I know. Well, okay, here we go. Enneagram 2, you said before, um, you love getting out there and meeting yep. people's needs, yep. um, making them feel loved and like uh, like you like them or yep. they like you. Or yep. You know what you, what I mean? Like you want people to like you as well, I, I yes. assume. Yeah, um, that, that is a part of it. Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, so... What, what is it then? If, and you're introverted. So how do you manage that? What I realized was, is uh, I'm, I'm driven in a way to uh, interact with people um, where I am helping them, supporting them, uh, encouraging them, inspiring them. Um, and therefore I reap the benefits of them liking me in return. Let's just put it out there how that goes, but it does sap all my energy. So, and I will, I realize that there needs to be a bit of a balance between that giving out, um, that I'm doing, but also taking time for myself to re-energize myself. Otherwise, um, the, the drive to give out to others um, will just exhaust you um, if, if that's the way that you're wired. Yeah. And I love it that you, that you find that surprising because, yeah, you know, I, you know um, the, I, it makes me feel like I've, I give out a lot of energy oh, yeah, I, yeah. I genuinely, when, I'm, when I'm interacting with others. That's great. I genuinely <laughs> find that surprising, even though I've known you this long. Yeah, because yeah. You really do. You give everything. Yeah. 110%. Yeah, nice. But uh, I, I do therefore have to go and have my private space yeah, as well yeah. and keep it private. Yeah. How long does it, t does, do you need? Like what, what is the battery recharging? Like, yeah, yeah, no, um, it can, it can range. It yeah. can range differently as long as I've given myself enough time to recharge. So sometimes it can just be an hour. Sometimes it can be a day. Um, uh, when it was lockdowns, I was happy to take the entire lockdown to recharge my batteries so that when we came out of lockdown, I was happy to interact with everybody again. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's different. The most important thing is that I know when I have rested enough and that I'm now ready to go back and give out to others. Yeah, that's so good. And it's such a hard lesson to learn. And I think you do really have to learn it the hard way sometimes because otherwise we just, we would just go and go and go forever if we could, I think. But, yeah, uh, um, yeah. I think it's life's, when life like shows you that you can't, your physical, the physical limitations of your body show you in no uncertain terms that you can't just keep giving and giving and giving forever. And I'm speaking from experience of my own um, experience here, but I... I'm curious about some of the harder moments for you when, when it has, or when you learned the lesson or when it, you, you broke down and it was like, you hit rock bottom. Like what kind of, 
led you to that point and then what was your experience in that place? What led me to times where I felt like I was hitting rock bottom would simply be that it was the giving out was happening far more than I was taking time out to refresh myself. This is how come I absolutely know I'm an introvert because I've I've had those seasons where I'm giving out and giving out and giving out to others and realized that I've completely depleted. And it wasn't even just a physical thing, Stephen, as well. Sometimes it was emotional and because uh, in our work, you know, there is a lot of emotions involved. There is that emotional fatigue that can kind of creep up on you where you've just been involved in people's lives. You've gone through some big successes and some big challenges with them. You've felt all the feels alongside them. And then you get to a point where you are even just emotionally exhausted, if not physically exhausted. Now for me, what I've noticed that that's been a problem because suddenly I've got no more capability anymore. Um, I'm, I'm extremely exhausted and I'm tired and I don't want to be around people anymore. I don't feel like I can give particularly out to the people like my loved ones, my family. I've got no more emotional energy for them. I've also noticed that I'm getting grumpier with people and I'm not able to see things from an appropriate perspective anymore. I've lost that patience. I've lost that that grace that sometimes you have for others. And I've had to step back and go, okay, this is not okay for me you know, and I'm not in a good place. Um, so from there, what have I had to do? I've had to go and seek that help. I've had to go and tell people that I need the time out to go and refresh and relax. Um, I've needed space from others. I've needed to rework schedules. Um, I've had a few moments like that where I've had to take holiday breaks and just really prioritize that, that no one's going to be involved. It is purely just me or my family, just my loved ones. And the most important thing is I've had to take that really seriously. I've had to just say, I'm, I'm not okay. I'm having a problem. I need help. This is serious and I need to address it. Yeah, and just to, to encourage those people out there, I have gone and got counselling, you know, when I've needed it. Like I said, not because I've sat there and thought I was going crazy, but because I needed some tools to navigate through this next season. I love it. I love talking about the stuff. I love normalising this stuff. That, um, And I imagine as an Enneagram too that it would have been quite challenging, to say the least, to be able to verbalize your needs when you're so focused and your whole mission is to make sure everyone else is okay how do you then go and make sure that you're okay and sometimes hitting rock bottom is the only way that it it does it for us yeah that's right that's right and that's why counseling was a bit helpful because especially feeling really capable at being able to unpack other people's problems and be able to unpack what's going on in other people's worlds and then to be able to sit in a room and have somebody want guide you through that process and you're sitting there going, I, got, I don't know how to explain this. I don't know what to say. Do you know what I mean? And to be able to um, just work through that is was really, really challenging um, as a number two but partially also because it required a little bit of bravery from me, a little bit of courage 
to actually say, I have need, and this doesn't mean I'm any less of a person. Yeah, that's good. That's so good. Um, Because I, I, I struggle, and I said that before, like to, to verbalize my needs sometimes, and it can feel really empowering when you do get the strength to be able to do that. Um, but yeah, like sometimes you do, like for me, it, it definitely was a case of just knowing that the path I was on was going to lead to full burnout. Um, and then knowing I need to make changes in my life so that that doesn't happen because I don't want to, I don't want to put myself through that. And I don't want to, I don't know. I mean, I care about loved ones and, and maybe that is just putting their needs high again rather than my own needs. But at the same time, it's like, you, you kind of want to show up in the world for others, but balance that with actually being uh, honest with yourself as well. So, yeah, you do. And, uh, you know, I think it's a good place to start is, mm. is if you're struggling to prioritize yourself and, and say, well, I'm going to look after myself. It's a good place to start to go, well, let me do it at least for somebody else, whoever that somebody else is in your world, whether, you know, it's a spouse or a partner or kids or friends or just other people that care about you to be able to at least start there and say, well, I'll, I'll do it for them if I'm not in the headspace to do it for myself. But then it's really good to get to the place where you process enough where you go, no, I'm actually worth it to do it for myself. Um, I value myself enough. I value um, my own heart. I value my own thinkings. I value my own worth enough to take my own mental wellness my own physical wellness, my own emotional wellness seriously enough. I love it. I love this conversation. I am curious of how all of this has shaped your journey. Your how oh, we talk on the show a lot about struggle and suffering and I mean we come on. We we're in the West, we live very privileged lives, but at the same time we're humans as well and I'm just curious how suffering has shaped your journey. Yeah, well I remember someone saying um, yes, we know that in the West we are very privileged, but pain is pain to every human heart. It's almost like it doesn't matter what's causing the pain, it's still pain to our human heart. Yeah. So um, big question, Stephen, about suffering and how it's shaped us, because I think, you know, every opportunity you have can go either of two ways or somewhere in between. And it's either you learn something from it or you don't learn something from it or you kind of learn something from it. And you'll always reap the like fruit of that, whatever, wherever you end up on that spectrum. So I think we've heard the old saying, you know, that um, I'm going through a really tough time. You know, what can I what can I learn from it or what's the purpose of it and all things. And no, I don't, not every, you know, not everything is that simple. Um, but even if you can't necessarily like define a, this is what I've learned from this experience, I think enduring suffering 
enduring a negative experience, being able to cope with it and coming out the other side, um, that's what builds resilience inside of you. And resilience is such a powerful force in your life. If you're able to look at situations and be resilient towards them, that is strength, 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 man. That is that is like golden s- strongness. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, 100%. And it's like, I was just thinking as you're saying it, because we resist challenges as they come up. We're, we're, we're like, oh, you know, it's so hard. I don't want to do this. This is just really killing me and then the the crazy thing about life is how how that's the thing that's the thing that grows character in you that's the thing that like turns you into something good I guess um and shapes you to be a better person and it's just it's just a I don't know like it trips me out sometimes life life buzzes me out yeah it at least builds you and and I mean that's one of the beautiful aspects of life is that we're all being built and kind of crafted and, you know, uh, we're all growing because we're alive, you know, and we're either growing stronger or I guess we could possibly be growing weaker, you know, if we're not allowing these experience to build that resilience in us, if, you know, we're we're just kind of hitting our head against the same wall and not really making what could possibly be some very necessary changes in our lives, then obviously we're growing weaker. So for me, when I've walked through um, times that I consider a suffering or challenge, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to keep some of that hope alive that um, at the end of this, you know, I could be a much stronger person out of it. And that hope I guess is, is what we're all trying to hold on to. Yeah. So good. So, um, tying it all together, coming to the end, um, managing wellbeing day to day. How do you do it? What are the warning signs? I don't know. Yep. Yep. Great. Uh, warning signs for me is how are people interacting with me right now? What are responses am I getting? Um, am I getting a lot of confused looks? I don't know, but, um, but just keeping an eye on, uh, how are my day-to-day interactions going? How am I responding to people? And if I'm happy with my responses, great, keep doing it. If I've got a bit of a check as in, you know, oh, hang on, I'm responding to people like this and I'm not sure why it's working out that way, um, then that's definitely time to find that self-reflection and to go, okay, what what needs to happen? And it's ongoing. You know, it doesn't have to be all big and tense. Um, it could just be a natural part of your life and practice and, and way that you conduct yourself is by just being aware of, of yourself, being aware of how you're going and what you're doing, um, and bef- even well before you get into any dark holes, because all of that little bit by little bit by little bit each day um, just adds up to good well well-being or not not so good well-being. I'm going to throw a curveball at you. I was just debating whether to do this or cool, not. Cool. Here but, we go. Um, just to just finish everything off, but. It, <laughs> Well-being. We're we're church kids, right? Um, and church is under 
a lot of scrutiny at the moment, let's put it that way, with um, Arise Church in New Zealand and uh, Hillsong, obviously in America, has been under a lot of fire. Um, documentaries coming out. Um, what was the other one? Oh, Mars Hill. Yes, the big, the big one. The rise and fall of Mars Hill. Um, I'm just curious, like, to hear what you think of all of this, like where it's going. Um, it just feels, I don't know, like there's something that just feels like we're on the verge of change in a lot of areas in life, not just church, but, um, I mean, I think COVID really threw a spanner in the works. We were all on a trajectory and then it just cut us off at the knees. And I think it needed to, like, it's really, I would almost call it a great uh, leveling of just like, hang on a minute, you're not as big and great as you think you are. You can you can be locked away inside over a over a pandemic. So um, I don't know. Like I, I just, I'm just curious. I'll if you're speaking into that, what would you say? Yeah, I'm smiling at that question, Stephen, and uh, <laughs> and because uh, definitely the 2020s have put a big spanner in the works, I guess, of of us church kids and everything that we kind of experience and everything that we've kind of known as well. Um, and it's, I think you kind of have to be hiding under a rock if you didn't realize that things were being shaken up. And my response to it, to be honest, is I just believe there's a really big purpose in it. And when I don't understand like what the purpose is. I can't define it. Um, right now, I'm, I'm not that smart. I don't know what's going on. But I believe that there is purpose in it. Um, you know, I, like, I think, um, I think that social organizations all have a natural cycle where, you know, there's a bit of a pioneering stage. We're starting something and don't get me wrong. I know the church has been around for like centuries, but there has been, there, there has been, you know, um, like it's reformed itself. It's, it's, changed itself over the decades it's it's uh, created new ways of reaching new generations and we you know we've we've kind of created a bit of a church culture um, that's been around for a few decades now um I think we all know which ones we're talking about and uh but so it was pioneered and then it was kind of developed um and there were obviously some really good things that were were happening in it and there were some um, things that might have that could have been done differently or better, much like the artwork we're doing with our students. Um, and I think over time, uh, you know, some of those, uh, the fruit shows itself. So the positive things have probably been evident for a while, um, but also some of the areas that maybe have been a bit challenging and that um, should have been reflected on maybe weren't. So we're seeing the fruit of that, like, right now possibly and um you know it's it's like a new generation has has started to become uh involved in in churches and and being part of the adult part of church and i guess what we're seeing now is they're just asking questions and they're wanting things to be done a bit differently and they're um just asking those really, really, really important questions. What's happening? I think those questions are being answered. 
And I think, um, or at least they're being asked and they're being attempted to be answered. And maybe it's just shaking up what's happening um, in the Western church and in these Western church cultures. Um, I certainly am not necessarily disappointed by what I'm seeing because I think being open and honest, you know, just like you are with yourself, I think organizations need to be able to do that as well. And I think that being able to ask the hard questions is a sign of maturity. And so being, you know, being able to allow that kind of shakening and being allowed to uh, that kind of allow those questions to be asked, you know, with respect and with with grace and with um, ears to hear what the other perspectives are rather than being dogmatic on your own perspective. I think all of that should hopefully result in um, some very necessary changes that probably need to take place um, for the church to step into all of the purposes that it has. So I am optimistic, but this shaking um, is very interesting at times very unpleasant, uh, but we, you know, we, we shouldn't really shy away from unpleasant things. Oh, no, no way. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with that. Um, and unlike doing art, like, cause you can definitely make mistakes and should make mistakes there. It's kind of, the stakes are so high here because we're dealing with people's lives. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and, um, I'm, and to swing away from church for a minute, like I know, uh, that victims of abuse, particularly sexual abuse, um, particularly women, if they come out and say, like the whole Me Too movement, like when they come out and say they were raped or, or whatever, abused, um, they can be, uh, it can turn on them. And that's, that's crazy. Like they become, it's like their story is, is turned into, well, what did you do to bring it on? Like it's your, your fault, your problem. You must've caused this somehow. And man, what a, what a heartbreaking thing, like that a victim can be re-traumatized through trying to share their story. So I don't even know what I'm saying with that other than we need to listen to people. Like when they're, when they're bringing out stories and they're saying how they were hurt, we need to listen. Yeah, you're right. And I think, um, I think if there's anything that we're hopefully learning um, in this decade is we're learning to listen and we're learning to hear, which um, is really, really important. And we're learning to uh, have that desire within ourselves to see another perspective, um, another beautiful part of life is to be able to see through somebody else's eyes, even if you don't fully understand all of the complexities with it. And um, and I hope that as people, we will grow in that way and we will want to see from other people's perspectives. And then maybe, just maybe, in the tiny opportunities that we get to have, that we can start making some very real very deep and very necessary changes 
to the way we behave and the way that we are that will hopefully leave the legacy that we want to leave. Yeah, that's so good. I mean, how can you ever learn? Like oh, we're talking about being teachers. Like how can a, how can someone learn if they're not listening? Yeah, that's if there, right. If there, that's is, right. if there is a closed, do they just not want to learn? Like do they not want to change? And, and change is hard and it can take courage and commitment and trying again when you fail and man yeah it's, it's just hard sometimes and but you're never gonna you're never gonna be able to do that if you're not listening and I think man we just have to sit sit back and listen and go well now these stories are coming out like what do we learn what can we learn from this where can we grow how can we become better people where have we gone wrong where have we lost our way um as, as speaking by and large for churches and organization, like it's trying to lead people to hope, right? It's trying to, to tell the story of good news, but if people are burning out, that's not good news. And, and, and you can't ignore that. Like if, if there's a pile of like in the, the Mars Hill podcast is the, the one of the most striking things that stuck with me is What's his name? Um, can't even think of his name now. Uh, the the pastor, Mark Driscoll. My goodness. Um, he's saying, "I'm driving this bus, and there's a pile of dead bodies behind the bus. You can either be on the bus, or you can be run over by the bus." That is just haunting in the worst way possible. Like, I just think that's a that that that's a terrible, terrible mentality. And if that, if that's what it takes to build a mega church, I'm out. Like, Sure. And we hope that, um, you know, those of us that are viewing all on this and, and, and are possibly even a part of it are able to kind of look out that window and go, actually, let's try and do this differently next time. And uh, what are the things that I need to do to reflect, look after myself, look after others, make adjustments. So that there are at least less bodies, if not no bodies 100%. underneath this bus. Yeah, 100%. And, and being able to look within, and even if this, it's not applying to you personally, the story's like looking within and going, how am I empowering this? Or how am I um, doing the same things in, in, in what ways? Maybe they're far less like... Um, impactful ways like you're not traumatizing anyone anywhere near as much but looking within is so hard and going well actually where's the shadow within myself and um, I, I just think that's that's an important part of learning and growing as a person is being able to we're talking about the Enneagram is just the biggest thing for the Enneagram is recognizing your blind spots and your own shadow and going I'm not going to just turn away from that. I'm actually going to look into that and go, how can I transcend and include that? Yeah, that's right, Stephen. Mm. That's right. And, uh, and, and that's powerful, you know, and, uh, if, if we are able to do that, particularly in positions of influence, you know, that's what's going to make the difference. Um, if we can do that as educators, if we can do that as teachers, that's what's going to leave the legacy in our students um, very powerful stuff. Yeah, so good. All right, um, I'm, I promise I'm wrapping it up this time. 
what would you say to, or what do you want to most communicate to young people who may have lost hope or they're struggling or I don't know, just growing up in today's world? Um, what message would you want to communicate them to bring hope to, to living in 2022? Yeah, I love that, Stephen. And I think I'm going right back to my roots of being an arts educator, which is to always look for beauty where you can, look for strength where you can, look for inspiration where you can. Because I, I don't know, maybe I, if I'm, a, I'm an optimist um, or I believe in a good God, and I just I just know the world is full of light and it sometimes means that we just have to really be intentional about seeking that out. But I would always encourage people to look for it, to look for it, look for the beauty, look for the strength, look for the good stuff. Look for, And this isn't just being positive. This is actually trying to find stuff that is actually really beautiful, really good, really strong, really secure, really hopeful, and really really inspirational. And uh, just for anyone that is listening and maybe in a bit of a, a, a dark moment, um, my second piece of advice is try to seek out some help. Try and find somebody that you trust and ask for help. Yeah, that's awesome. What makes you come alive? seeing something inspirational, hearing a message that uh, I haven't heard before that just really lifts my soul, some piece of insight, um, something about, and it could be about human nature, it could be about the world, it could be about it, but something, uh, yeah, insightful um, certainly makes me come alive. Um, but also a really good piece of Wildberry cheesecake makes me come alive as well. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, thank you so much for uh, giving up your time to be here. I've just loved this conversation. Um, I don't know. We're outside the classroom. We're, we're doing this. We're doing this outside of work. It's great. I love it. It's so nice to be here, Stephen. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Phew, what a conversation. I feel like there was a treasure trove of really helpful content being shared there and I look forward to trying out some of the techniques we discussed regarding mental health in my own life. In next week's episode, Matt and I will be talking about writer's block. Tune in next week to hear our conversation about it. If you'd like to support the show, head over to our Instagram page and give it a like and a follow. And if this episode helped you, then consider sharing it with a friend. Alright, I'll see you all in the next one. Keep it fresh.